0: Welcome to the Chief Endurance Officer Podcast. I'm your host, Greg McDonough. Each week, we hear real-time stories from athletes and CEOs on how to maximize performance through an endurance mindset. Let's get started. Welcome to the Chief Endurance Officer Podcast. I'm your host, Greg McDonough. Today's guest has built and sold five of her own businesses with an average return of 700%. She has served as a board member and an interest advisor for 36 startups and has invested in over 200 startups, including Google. She is the host of the Crack the Behavior Code podcast. She is a New York Times bestseller. Please welcome Christine Comfort. Welcome, Christine.
1: Thank you, Greg. It's great to be here.
0: It's Awesome having you on the show. I can't wait to get into our topic. But my first question, we love the endurance and the endurance mindset here on our podcast. Can you tell me, Christine, how the endurance mindset has impacted your life unexpectedly?
1: Wow. (laughs) Without the endurance mindset, um, seriously, I I wouldn't be here. Resilience, to me, endurance is is resilience and the ability to pivot. And life throws all sorts of curveballs at us personally and professionally. And I think having endurance with a sense of humor, not like suffering through it, is essential.
0: Can you give us some examples of how that's come up in your life?
1: Yes. Oh my gosh. When I think of um, what it took to get my uh, my job at Microsoft, um, it was the 1980s. It was a very male culture. Um, I tried to approach as a female, and it wasn't really working. So I changed my name. I'm my resumé to Chris. <laughs> I went through some channels and they actually thought that I was a man. <laughs> and when they called to schedule the uh, the interview, no. um, I was kind of freaked out and I hadn't really figured my strategy out. I was like in my 20s, you know, so I was like, oh, well, Chris isn't available, but I have Chris's calendar. So let me schedule Chris right now. I wasn't saying he, but I, but I wasn't letting on that I was Chris. And when I showed up and they're like, uh, you're a chick. And I'm like, uh, yeah, well, why don't I crash windows, show you where the bugs are and disassemble the code? (laughs) And they're like, okay, well, we'll hire you, but if you suck after two weeks, we'll fire you. And I was like, wow, that's so friendly. And I said, okay, game on. Let's do it. If I didn't have that endurance mindset, I wouldn't have, you know, took a creative approach, pivoted during the interview and just said, okay, if I suck, they should fire me, you know. But I'm just going to rock and roll, you know. So I just find that um, in the endurance mindset enables us to, once we know what we want, to, to acknowledge rightfully that there will be yeah. obstacles. Mm-hmm. So don't get flipped out by obstacles. Say, hey, you know, obstacles are going to come up. It's part of life. The, the question is, how well will I navigate them? How effectively will I navigate them? And just stay grounded and present when they do come up. So that's one example. But I've had like a zillion examples. I mean, oh, my God. If, and we could go on, one, on and on. Holler is one
0: coming, yeah, I was going to say, is another one coming to mind?
1: Uh, yeah, well, I was thinking of um, when the bubble crashed, when the bubble burst and 9-11 happened, so I'm going back in time a little bit, but I, I can do more recent ones too. Um, uh, I was a venture capitalist at the time. We didn't have any ability for companies to have a public market exit because the markets were shut down. Nobody wanted to take a company public. Nobody wanted to do mergers and acquisitions. Nobody wanted to do fundings. So there was this pile of companies that were just going to die because they couldn't sustain themselves yet. They, they weren't profitable yet. They needed funding from somebody. They were startups. And I thought, okay, there's, there's got to be money somewhere. Who has, and I calculated it, I calculated that we needed $4 billion across the U.S. I was like, okay, who has $4 billion? Oh, the government has $4 billion. I mean, duh. So why don't I just pass a bill in Congress and, and get the $4 billion? and fund the small business investment corporations and everything will be fine. I mean, that's like a ludicrous thing to say, you know, oh, I'll just pass the bill in Congress. So I called up the um, um, uh, North America Venture Capital Association, worked with them. They found a bill that was going through Congress anyway where we could stick a little rider at the end, you know, just a little small print and 4 billion, you know, and just stick that little baby in, and it made it all the way through, and then it was vetoed by uh, by President uh, Bush, W. Bush. But it's like, we almost got there. You know? So just, I mean, that's just one example. Both my parents have died, and um, my dad died in 2003, and he asked, I'm a, I'm a death doula as well. My volunteer work, I help people die, um, walk them through the death process. So my dad asked me to be his death doula, and I was like, Can I can I do that? Because being a death doula is really intense. I mean, you're helping your patient release regrets, clear unfinished business, guilt, shame, forgiveness issues. That's pretty deep stuff for your dad, you know. But I just thought, damn the torpedoes. You know, I'm good at being a death doula. I know how to do this. If he's up for getting that, you know, open with me, let's do this, you know. And then 15 years later, my mom got leukemia. And she said, will you be my death doula? And again, I was like, wow. Okay. Yeah, let's do this. You know, and both of them had really beautiful, peaceful deaths, but that took some endurance.
0: Wow. And that's something for us to dig into. Um, I'm curious, Christine, when did you first recognize this endurance mindset across your childhood? Like, when did it first come to you that you realized you had this superpower.
1: Yeah, I was seven years old. Yeah. I remember very clearly overhearing we're just we're just going right in. Overhearing my mom and dad talking, their marriage was not great. It was falling apart. And um my dad was saying to my mom, you know, like she failed somehow. Like I really wanted our second child, me, to be a boy. And like, you know, I guess we didn't know yet that like the the male actually determines, you know, the the gender. And um, and I remember thinking I was overhearing them and I was thinking, well, if he wanted a boy instead of a girl, then I'm just going to make my way in the world and, and find people who do want me. And I like packed in my tang and my space food sticks. And I was like, OK, I'm going to run away. And so I was like heading out out into the big world I was waiting at the bus stop and one of our neighbors came by Mr. Schick great guy and he just he just pulled over and said what are you doing I said well I'm running away you know and he was like well what's your plan and I was like I hadn't really thought it through clearly right so he's talking with me he was like so cool about it he's like well what if We work on a plan and over the next few weeks or months, we figure out a really good plan and then you run away, you know, but are you getting hungry? And I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of hungry. Like, yes, I'm for dinner. So why don't we take you home and then I'll be happy to help you figure out a plan. And of course, the plan never happened. But he got me to like, you know, drop the idea of running away. But yeah, so at seven, that's when I realized, you know what? I have value. And if people don't see it, that's okay. I'm going to find people who do a little misguided in the whole running away thing. But I think that's when I, uh, I really got that. um, You know, if you want to make it happen, you got to make it happen.
0: Mm. It's a great story. Um, You you brought me back to my childhood. Um, That's a whole other podcast. Christine, when we started off chatting, you mentioned endurance is resilience. Could you go a little bit deeper in what you meant by that?
1: Yeah, it's like the Japanese, how they say fall down seven times, get up eight. You know, it's gross mindset. It's, well, this didn't work, but I'll figure it out. You know, I'll just figure out the next thing. You know, Edison, what, 999 times, almost discovered the light bulb, almost nailed it. So that's endurance mindset, right? Professional athletes, that's endurance mindset um there's this great video that I should send to you, but it shows you all the the story- very short stories of all these famous people um and how they persevered and we think we see it's it's easy to be confident after you've had a bunch of successes the whole different thing to declare victory as you're stepping onto the battlefield that's what that's one of the things that endurance mindset is to me. Of course, it's also you're running the marathon, you're exhausted and you plow through, you know, but I think it's the beginning and it's the middle when you're exhausted and, you know, you're helping your parents die and you're like, I can't, I can't do this any longer. I'm so exhausted. I need to sleep. You know, that's endurance. It's, it's when you're connected to something bigger, because without being connected to something bigger, you're not going to have endurance. You're going to say out oh, of heck with it. We've all bailed on things because, frankly, it just didn't matter that much. Endurance is when your heart's in it.
0: Yeah, you're willing to endure to achieve whatever that outcome is you're trying to achieve.
1: When I work with leaders, you know, in my, in my executive coaching practice, um, I often will talk about three things. You know, it takes courage. It takes courage. If you see these three words kind of stacked on top of each other, it takes courage to be able to do the work, you know, the work of personal growth, the work of plowing through challenges, et cetera. But you're not going to have courage if you don't have commitment below it, if you're not committed to something bigger that makes it worth it, worth all that blood, sweat, tears. And you're not going to have commitment if you don't have love, if there isn't something that you love that you're connected to in your heart You're not going to be committed and you're not going to draw the courage because courage isn't like easy. Courage is like the stuff that shows up when you've decided to normalize the struggles of growth. It's like, oh, yeah, gross. It's uncomfortable. Oh, well, you know, and just make it normal. You know, I think to endure, you've got to normalize the struggles of growth. And I can't stand when people say, oh, I'm going to be comfortable being uncomfortable. It's like, that's total bullshit. It's uncomfortable. Just say it. This is uncomfortable. And I'm going to do it anyway, because it's not going to be uncomfortable forever.
0: That's yeah, so well said. Um, and you got me spinning. I'll go back to my, my question. You also mentioned humor. You, sl- you slipped that in there when we st- first started talking. Um, and I haven't heard a podcast guest talk about humor as a pertains to the endurance mindset. I'd love to know what you meant a little bit more by that.
1: Um, yes, because sometimes uh, when you are enduring, persevering, a lot of stuff goes wrong. And you can let it bum your high or you can just go, you can just see the humor in it. I mean, I think it's essential to be really curious and it's essential to be fascinated. And if you can have curiosity and fascination throughout your life, you're set. Um, And because that gives you the ability to have compassion, endurance, blah, 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 humor. And sometimes um, when I'm going through something really, really hard, I will look at what is fascinating about it. Like, it is fascinating that all these things are coming up at once. like. That's kind of like we should just have fun with this because it's so unlikely. Um, And I think seeing the humor, I do believe the universe has a sense of humor. I do believe that everything happens to help us grow. I don't believe in victim mentality at all. I do believe that I chose every experience um, that I'm having. And um, humor is the ability to see. What's kind of funny mm-hmm. in everything? Because things are pretty funny if you look at them, like how likely that all these things would happen at once, um, how How funny that, well, this is happening, this other thing is happening, like juxtaposing or paradoxes. but also you can inject humor, you know, like when I used to deal with a lot of negative people um, at Microsoft who really didn't want a woman in the engineering team. I would like, you know, Yo. uh, I created this Star Trek thing where I would um, squeeze my belt and I would like say I would whisper, "Activate deflector shield," you know. So you can always, you can always like create a new persona, like you know, I'm in a foreign land and hmm. I'm exploring their cultures. And what do you, you know, and what how do they entertain themselves? It's fascinating, you know, and just kind of, you know, like I'll be out with my boyfriend. We'll be out having dinner and we'll and we'll look around the restaurant and we'll like make up funny stories about Mm -hmm. people, you know, it's just it's just important to have that playfulness, you know.
0: Absolutely. That's one of my wife and I's favorite game is where do you think they're from? What do you think they do for a living? Yeah. How many children do they have? And you just kind of to your point, have that playfulness. How does that come up, this this sense of humor, come up with the executives that you work with when you're doing your coaching?
1: Um, yeah, one thing I really like for people to do is to have fun meetings. And the fun meeting, it doesn't have to be a whole meeting. It could just be a few icebreaker um, questions. And we always send everybody like a list of the, of like a we have a Google sheet of questions that we use. Um, and uh to find out the humanity, to discover the humanity of your team. So like one of the questions is, and what's fun is you put it on a Google sheet or whatever and everyone, and you ask the questions and each person types in their answers so that everybody can see everybody else's answers. So like, what do you collect? And, um, and uh, one person once said that they collect, collect snow globes. And so, well, how many do you have? Over a thousand. A thousand snow globes. Oh, yeah. And I have like a whole room in my house dedicated to snow globes. It's crazy. That's so cool. A snow globe room. I've never met anybody who has a snow globe room. That's so cool. Now I know what gift I want to give that person. But it's got to be a really unique snow globe. Because if they have a thousand, can't just give them the average bear snow globe. So So um, making sure that our people are curious and fascinated by their team members. And not seeing each other as like working drones, you know, but seeing like the humanity and the richness and the multifaceted aspects of, of humans, which is why, you know, we do these retreats called Beyond Your Brain, where we bring leaders together and not all of them are executives or just people who are interested in leadership. And we teach them indigenous, um, ancient indigenous, um, Wisdom and you know stuff from shamanism and um, American Indian um, ceremonies and stuff, and it helps people get really connected to the earth and the elements. And when we move through the world, this crazy, extremely digital world, and we are not so swept up in all the buzz, and we're actually connected to the earth and the elements, and we're feeling you know water and earth and air and fire in our bodies as well, we are more connected. And if you look at what's happening in the U.S., which is why we need to bring, well, worldwide, which is why we need to bring more endurance mindset, you know, there's this loneliness epidemic, which is absolutely tragic. And it's because everyone's relied too much on digital devices for connection. Seeing humanity helps us see humor. Seeing humanity helps us experience that richness and that connection. And if there's like one thing that people take away from our conversation today, I hope they'll take away that to start really being curious and fascinated by humans, because humans are fascinating human beings. You know, taking that,
0: taking that one step further, let's say we've got an audience member who's feeling lonely. Yeah. What would you recommend to her, to him?
1: Yes. Um, Uh. Connect, so get out and connect with nature. Get out and connect with your community, do some volunteer work. Even just doing one shift with the food bank where you're packing up bags and putting them in people's trunks as they drive up. I mean, I always send people off to do that if they're feeling kind of stuck. I mean, that's like a beautiful thing, you know, sharing food with people. Um, So uh, hang out with a pet. you know, get out and do a hike, go to a, an assisted living facility and hang out with some elders and volunteer just to, you know. I took one of my friends who was pretty stuck once and on Valentine's Day and I got a bunch of flowers, carnations, because they're hardy and they aren't going to hurt anybody. They I have thorns. And she and I divided and conquered and we went to all the people and said, happy Valentine's Day and gave them each a carnation. And to see how it lit these people up. Mm. And it really helped her have a shift. Um, So it's get out there. If you're feeling isolated, get out there and connect. Connect to history. You can connect to history. You can just like watch some history um, or biographies and stuff on Netflix. But history is cool because you go, wow, I live in this amazing country. And look at what these people did to create it. So I wrote a blog for Forbes on loneliness. So if someone's lonely, they just type in Forbes, come afford loneliness or lonely. And when I posted this blog within like a day, there were a hundred thousand readers. And I was like, oh my gosh, oh, we should maybe attach it to the notes. Um, Yes. And we should also attach that life equals risk. Um, Here, I'll send you the link to it. Um, And it has 12 ways to get reconnected. And you can just look at all the 12 and just just pick one, just pick one of the 12. I just gave you a couple of quick examples. You
0: know. Wonderful. Yeah, those, yeah. that will be super impactful. And we'll certainly include that in the show notes. Changing gears slightly and into your work in neuroscience, how have you seen that play out in sports performance? We've got a lot of athletes that are audience members, you know, the endurance mindset certainly fits there. Um, and I'll give you a story, I, my last triathlon, I started my swim and I was 100% concentrated on what my finishing time was gonna be 16 hours later. And then I realized, you know what? I don't need to worry about it. Like The, the days is gonna happen the way the day is gonna happen. And so I kind of freed my brain of what's gonna persp- you know, happen in the next 15 hours. And all of a sudden I had the best swim of my life. Like it was the, my fastest finish. The rest of my day was a little bit sketchy, but that's okay. So there's something there, right? There's something that connects your brain to your performance. I'd love to hear your insights on that.
1: Yeah, so here now, right? Every year we send out a stone and a process. Last Thanksgiving, we sent out Connect, you know? Right before COVID, which is kind of crazy, we sent it out during Thanksgiving. The year right before COVID, we sent out all as well. Isn't that nuts? So folks, So anyway, we have a ton of these things. So here's the thing. Your amygdala does a lot of cool things. But one thing is perceives threats, tries to keep us safe, et cetera. And your prefrontal cortex is trying to like have visions, regulate your emotions, say I'm here, but I want to be there. What are the steps to get there? And it's like strategizing. Um. And we also do have neural fibers, brain, in our gut and in our heart. So your brain is way beyond just your head. And what I find is your subconscious mind doesn't know the difference between whether you're doing it, actually, or whether you're thinking it. This is why so many athletes that look at Dennis Waitley's research, run marathons in their brain, right, get so normalize the struggles of growth, right? They get so used to how it feels to run that marathon and all their muscles are firing, even though they're just sitting at a chair. Um, when we can be in the, the exact moment, we can be in flow. When we're in flow and we're surrendering any of the fear, any of the... Um, you know limbic system, fight, flight, freeze, faint, because when we are thinking things through, we're either um, projecting into the future, projecting into the past, and we're not able to be here when we're able to be here, we can get into that flow state where we have decreased cell density, decreased cell density in our amygdala so it has less power, increased cell density in our prefrontal cortex so that we feel much more expanded. I bet you felt pretty expanded when you were doing that swim Mm -hmm. and increased cell density in our hippocampus, which is where we have learning and memory and a lot of our emotional states. So the more present we can be, the more flow we can experience. And the whole thing is, it's just your ego that makes you want to feel small and scared. And when you, when you look at a human being, the ego is one tiny fraction. We have all these rings that affect us, but in the mental ring, you know, yeah, that's where we have the ego, the personality, et cetera. But there's a lot more that affects us. And the more we start to notice how much is affecting us, the more we can choose which rings, if you will, we want to come closest to us. So, um, Meditation is awesome because it helps us control the default mode network, which is the monkey mind. And even just five or 10 minutes of meditation every day starts to add up and we start to find that we are quieter inside. The quieter we are inside, the more we experience flow, the also the more we can hear our intuition. So that was a long answer, but I love it. Um, hope it wasn't too rambly.
0: No, you're just spot on. Um, and I love that we came to meditation because it's a big part of my daily habits. Um, any other daily habits that you recommend, Christine?
1: I think, I think humans, we need to work out and we need to meditate every day. I just, I just find that we need to move our bodies because here's the thing energy gets stuck, you know, energy gets stuck and we need to move energy. Emotions have energy. Emotions have energy. And, um, uh, David Hawkins, MD, PhD, who is no longer with us, David Hawkins, uh, proved that, that emotions have energy and we need to clear them out of our body so that, uh, We treat emotions almost just like wind moving through us. We don't want to hang on to regrets, you know, unfinished business, guilt, shame, forgiveness issues, et cetera. We need to let them move. Exercise helps you clear out, if you will. Um, So exercise, meditation, obviously, I mean, I think everybody should eat 70% plants. You know, if you can eat 70% plants, I know you're probably going to age a lot better and feel a lot better. I mean, I'm almost 62 and I feel like I felt when I was like, I don't know, 35, 40, you know, I feel pretty great. (laughs) That's awesome.
0: Yeah, I've got a great poster in my house, uh, Rich Rawls, and he's got a quote that says mood follows motion. And if you think about it, like after you've been active, you're just in a different state of mind, but you got to get into that motion first, get out of your chair, get on your bike, go for a walk, connect with nature. Christina, I'd love to change subjects a little bit and learn a little bit more about you. How did you go from the seven-year-old who was exploring her new path and thinking about running away <laughs> into Microsoft into the work you're doing today? So give us a little bit more of the, yeah. the patch club. Um,
1: okay. Uh, well, 13, when I was 13, I had this big epiphany or spiritual experience where it felt like all this pressure and I was lying in my bed and I thought I was dying because I couldn't breathe. And I just said, okay, God or whoever's listening, like if I'm dying, you know, thanks, it's been interesting. But if I'm not dying, you need to understand what this is. I was a fairly precocious child. (laughs) Um, And the message I got was, this is the pain of the world. And I was like, oh my God, if people are feeling this much pain, I need to dedicate my life to reducing human suffering. So then and there I said, okay, I did, I hereby dedicate my life to reducing human suffering. And then at 15, I went to this thing called Est, which I think now is called Landmark. Right. And I realized that life has no meaning unless you make it and we're all 100% responsibility responsible. Then at 16, I ran away and I did succeed that time. <laughs> so, so, um, dropped out of high school because it was slow and boring. Negotiated my way into college early. Um, and, um, really what I found was I love systems. I love systems. I thought it was software, but what I've learned that's more interesting is human behavior, but also consciousness. Those are like the most interesting systems for me. So after my, um, after my stint of being an engineer, luckily, you know, Microsoft had some troubles with the IRS and the EDD and needed to employ a bunch of people overnight. And I said, I'll create a business. Um, and, um, quickly went through ink magazine. Okay. 1-800-incorporate yourself. Okay. Quickly, you know, created corporations. Um, but, and that, and then I started building companies and selling them. Um, But, but what I found the whole time is it's all about the leadership and how people come together and how people treat each other. And if people are cultivating and elevating each other and people can people move power down and across the organization? So I retired when I was 40 after selling all these companies um, and totally burned out, I might add. Um, I did not totally manage my energy effectively. did not work out enough, et cetera. Took on too much stress. Um, but But my dad, you know, got pancreatic cancer and just I started writing all these stories to try to understand my life, like kind of memoir. That's Rules for Renegades. And after he died, I just, I just, it's like I couldn't stop writing stories. One thing led to another, got published, became a New York Times bestseller. Suddenly the phone was ringing and I'm back working. But I said, this time I'm going to help people intentionally create the businesses that they want, you know, not burn out like I did, you know, do it with more heart, but also do it with better systems. You know, so my second book, Smart Tribes, was all about bringing neuroscience into you know, creating the systems in your business that help it run. And then my third book, Power Your Tribe, is about emotional resilience and how we navigate, once we've got the business, how we navigate the human dynamics. Because that's what it's all about. Mm. That's what it's all about. And I think people get lonely um, because uh, they isolate themselves because human dynamics are challenging, you know? They are. and. The more authentic we can be, which requires us to release defenses, which requires us to do gobs of personal work to find out where we're compensating, you know, and where our fractures are, you know, in our personality. As we do all that, we start to realize that, like, you know, we're actually we're actually pretty cool, you know, and all the people around us are actually pretty amazing. And I mean, I've helped 62 people die and each one is different and people are freaking amazing. When I see what people go through in their death process and keeping their heart open or opening their heart, if it's shut, closed, people are just, I mean, you got to hang out with people. Yeah. They're like the coolest thing.
0: (laughs) When did that calling come to you to be a death doula?
1: Yeah. Um well I started in 1998 so it's been a while. Um but uh a couple of things. Um in 91 and 95 I had two of my own cancer scares. They were benign, but as I was being rolled in on the gurney, you know, to the OR, I thought, wow, I have this great support system, but what if somebody doesn't? You know, what if somebody finds out bad news like i have like had this spiritual found. oh i was a buddhist monk for from 17 to 24 i forgot to mention that um which totally made sense after the 13 experience and the 15 experience but like i'm good with my version of god and you know i i remember past lives so i know that this is one of many um but but people have a lot of fear of death and how can i help reconcile that in whatever way a person wants. So I got my training. I got out there. I've been working with hospice, different hospices uh, for 25 years. And that's how I met the 62 people. And then a couple of family members are in there too.
0: Powerful. Very, very powerful. And it connects back to your message at 13 of this is the pain of the world, right? That process, that ending process yeah. in itself is painful. Um, Christine, talk to us a little bit about the Smart Tribe Institute and your One Tribe Foundation.
1: Yeah. Um, We've actually renamed our foundation to just Smart Tribe Foundation because we found that there's another foundation called One Tribe and it's for uh military. So that's not us. Um, So Smart Tribes, um, what we do at Smart Tribes Institute is um, leadership and culture, coaching, workshops, and of course, this super groovy, beyond your brain um, uh, retreat, which, you know, take execs out into nature and it's like wildly transformational and cool and stuff. Um, And we have uh, a charter. There are four things that our foundation supports. Um, uh, Food insecurity, because if you don't have food, kind of hard to make everything else happen. So food insecurity, of course, uh death and dying, um uh the environment, um and um and I want to to just I I want I know people always approach us asking us to support uh their their causes. I feel the vast majority like we're starting these trials with ketamine for end of life because when people come to an end of life scenario there's three things that usually happen that are really big they're either depressed they're anxious or they're having what we call existential dread okay like oh my god it's over where do i go you know so for depression anxiety existential dread what we have found is that some journeys with ketamine which is legal um With an MD, you know, uh, dosing and administering, um, can remove or profoundly reduce those three situations. And as a death doula, the sooner my patient can, can drop in and accept the process they're in, the easier it is for them, for their family, for everybody. You know, and if ketamine helps that happen sooner, hot diggity dog, you know. So we're starting some, um, some research and trials on that with uh, six different patients in the next uh, couple of, and uh, actually the first ones in about a month. So um, yeah, I think if we just keep looking at where is human suffering, you know, because with all the physical suffering that our patients go through, a lot of that these days can be managed. We're really good at managing physical pain, but it's the pain up here. It's the mental slash emotional pain. And that was what I was feeling when I was 13. And a lot of it, here comes another stone, is remembering who you are. And if we can remember who we are, and each stone is on a specific type of crystal. This is an Um, All is well. Perfectly was on an amethyst, which is a healing stone, right? So everybody got these healing stones right before COVID, which was interesting. And I didn't, this just comes to me in meditation. I'm just like, do. Oh, here's the stone. Oh, okay. Here's the message. Okay, great. And I just like dictated to my phone and get back to my meditation. <laughs> so I, I get that I'm kind of like a low level order taker, you know, from the universe. Yeah. And I'm totally okay with that. You know, it's just like, okay, boss, what's up for today? Yeah. Okay. I'm on it. Oh. That's, I think that's it's also awesome. kind of Go important ahead. to understand your role in the universe. You know? Yeah. Hundred
0: anyway. um, percent. Are there ways that our audience members can support your foundation?
1: Um, they don't. Uh, they don't need to because we don't take donations. Okay. Um, because the way it's structured, it's called a donor advice fund, and fidelity doesn't like us give doing organize um giving donate or getting donations. But um, what they can do is they can go to Christine.com and the very first button, you'll see a series of buttons if you want to connect with us. The very first one is a uh, self-discovery, a free self-discovery mini course. It's four sessions um, that are released to you, I believe, every week. And it's just a really cool way to connect to yourself because the loneliness epidemic will only end when people are connecting to themselves first mm. that to many people is a little bit obscure which is why i said you know do volunteer work get out in nature connect with a pad connect with elders whatever connect with your community um but we all need to learn the most important relationship to build and um when people start realizing that they are their beloved. And that people come and go, we hope that our loved ones will last as long as they do, you know, but you came in alone and you will go out alone. Mm-hmm. So it's so important to just invest in building your relationship with yourself. So I hope you guys will go to christine.com and just take that mini course. It's, it'll get you started, you know? i will make a I'll
0: be I'll be doing that momentarily because you're really hitting a nerve with me. Um, so, thank you for that. Yeah. Also, come, thank to beyond
1: your, you, come to Beyond Your Brain. Uh,
0: also, Christine, thank you for gifting us 50 copies of your book. For any audience member who is curious to read Rules of Renegades, um, put a, a note in the chat, send me a note directly. We'd love to send out a book of, of that Christine, her first book, and then you could subsequently buy her other two. Christine, it's been awesome having you on the show. I feel like I could talk and go down different rabbit holes all afternoon, but. Um, your time has been super valuable to the audience members who have got some value out of this. Please like the show, please subscribe, please share this with your friends and family. I think the work that Christine's doing, the neuroscience, um, relieving pain, you know, the pain of the world is really impactful. Uh, let's support her journey so she can support our journey.
1: Thanks Greg.
0: Thank you for tuning in to the chief endurance officer podcast. To hear more inspiring stories and strategies around the endurance mindset, be sure to subscribe below or visit us at chiefenduranceofficer.com. Until next time, keep pushing those limits.